Father, thank you so much for, for Lydia. We love who she is. We love how you've made her to study scripture, to take some sometimes complicated and complex principles and uh, theology and uh, present them to us in a way that we can be challenged, fed and inspired. We pray you'd speak through her this evening, that you'd uh, refresh our worldview, the, the way in which you see the world and us in it. Release us this evening, Lord, to live more authentic lives, more powerful and effective lives for your glory. Amen. Amen, amen. Go for it. Thanks. Is this working okay? Yes, brilliant. Um, guys, if you want to take up a Bible, um, there's some more tables there and there. Brilliant. Um, and we're going to be in Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 8 this evening. It's about page 1181-ish. It's at the end. Um, and Rach, if we could bring up the PowerPoint, is that, is that going to be happy? Yes. Okay, so this evening we are going to look at the final victory of God, which is a garden city, title uh, slightly stolen from uh, John Mark Homer there, but um, it's deeply, deeply scriptural. And just to give you a bit of a roadmap, um, we'll spend a little bit of time in scripture. Then we're going to look at the concepts of judgment and hell and heaven, and then we'll spend some time... Um, thinking about what that means for us right now. And we're going to do all of that in 30 minutes. So, um, if you want to go uh, sort of more deeply into what I'm speaking about this evening, um, just a couple of books to recommend. So, lots of us have read it, but Garden City by John Mark Comer is absolutely brilliant on this stuff around eternity. Um, slightly more technical, but really accessible too, is Tom Wright's classic, Surprised by Hope. I'm sure a few of you have read it, but... Um, Give some time to it. It's absolutely brilliant too. Um, not quite in the uh, same uh, category, but we did do a cafe theology session on um, the final victory of God, heaven and hell. And I've got a few of the notes left over from last year, so stop laughing at me. <laughs> um, so you can pick up those um, from Kimberly. It's Kimberly about. Kimberly's going to be around at the end of the service, and she's got a few of those if you just want to get hold of them to sort of dig into the Bible references and things I'll throw up this evening. Great. Shall we read some scripture? Revelation 21, verses 1 to 8. And this is John, um, the disciple John, writing um, from exile on the island of Patmos uh, to the universal church. It's about 60 years after Jesus' death. And he says this to us. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. 
he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. We pray. Father, we thank you that your word is living and active. That we are all, even now, caught up in eternity. And as we consider these deep, deep truths of who you are and the mapping of our world right now, would you change us by the power of your spirit and convict us of things to come and things right now. Amen. 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 Um, I don't know how you feel when you read these verses. Um, I traditionally read these verses at funerals and things like that. But I also step back into them and think, this is phenomenal. What a beautiful vision. Actually, that one day he's going to wipe away every tear from our eyes, that all things will be renewed. And when we come to, um, to consider eternity, these concepts that if we've been Christians for a while, we will have sort of heard banded about that we, we know are true. The sort of heaven, the hell, the judgment, all of it. It can be quite hard for us right now to, to fully engage with, with that. You know, it's not 1450. We're not all dying of the black death. There's not a civil war going on. We're not surrounded by medieval art that depicts heaven, hell, judgment. But God is true and he's eternal and what he wrote and spoke through John all those years ago is as real then and now. And so we stand in this stuff, and it's exciting and wonderful, and it changes, and it conforms us further to his likeness. I think the reality of eternity is actually there in our culture, kind of murmuring away. We're probably not walking around Waitrose on a Saturday afternoon considering the finer points of the doctrine of hell or something like that. But we know that actually we've got questions. Everyone's got questions about the afterlife. And all you've got to do is turn on your TV. Um, I don't know. Who watches The Good Place? I watch The Good Place, and I think it is um, really, really intriguing. It's pretty theologically... Um, Unsound in places, it also has some glimpses of glory. Um, and in The Good Place, if you don't watch it, um, Eleanor ha has basically lived a really sort of morally bankrupt life. Um, and by a case of mistaken identity, she finds herself in a heaven-like existence. Um, and then she basically spends most of the series trying to not get kicked out of heaven into their sort of concept of hell. But that's what's going on in our culture. Even if we're not talking about heaven, hell, afterlife realities all the time. There's a kind of murmuring, isn't there? A kind of murmuring, a longing to know what is to come, what's going to happen um, after this life. And that is a brilliant challenge for us as Christians because we know the answer. We know the answer. It's really clear from Scripture. It's really clear as we gather to worship and we sing songs like heaven come down. You know, we were just singing that. What does that mean when we're singing heaven come down? And it's because God has put eternity in the human heart. Actually, eternity's in our DNA. 
And so the writer, um, to the writer of Ecclesiastes, sorry, um, Solomon, he just writes this. God has set eternity in the human heart. God has set eternity in the human heart. And that's why when we take a step back, ourselves and our culture are really interested in the things to come. There's something eternal in all of us. As Christians, we're called to tease that out and present that in a relevant way to our friends, our colleagues, the world around. So that's what we're going to delve into um, this evening. So scriptures. What does um, what does scripture present? If we go to the next slide, Rach. Thank you. Um, and scripture presents this whole kind of trajectory towards eternity. And we start in the garden, Genesis, the Garden of Eden. God creates humankind in his image, man and woman. And then things go wrong, as we know. And then we're stretching through all of history, looking to this point of what Scripture calls the day of the Lord, when Jesus will return at the right hand of the Father to judge the living and the dead. And what he's going to usher in is a garden city, this new Jerusalem reality that um, is written about in Revelation. That actually then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. Jerusalem, the heavenly city, coming down on the clouds. Now God's dwelling place is with people, with those that he created. And so the grand narrative of Scripture is garden, to garden city. That's what we're heading for. And all over scripture, there's this language of the new creation, of a new heaven and a new earth. And it's not like that sort of language just kind of cropped up in Revelation. Actually, one day John's exiled on the Isle of Patmos and the Holy Spirit speaks to him and boom, he's got this like big revelation that we've just read about in um, chapter 21. Actually, you see the trains of it throughout scripture. So in the Old Testament, um, Ezekiel, when he's prophesying, and that's about 2,500 years ago, um, he prophesies about the new creation, about things to come. And then John, by the power of the Holy Spirit, picks up what Ezekiel has written and sort of reforms it and pads it out and gives us this glorious vision of the new creation. Isaiah, when he's prophesying at a similar time to Ezekiel, again, you know, a few thousand years ago, again and again uses this term, the new heavens and the new earth, the new heavens and the new earth. Jesus, Jesus' ministry was teaching us loads of stuff, but he was frequently coming back to the reality of things to come, of judgment, of heaven, of what we're called into. And Paul has this brilliant kind of theology of the body that actually we're going to get a resurrection body and that's because bodies are good and God's going to renew what we have as we sit here and as we head into eternity. So he speaks about that in 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, Peter. Peter in his second letter puts it like this, 2 Peter 3, 13. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. A new heaven and a new earth where righteousness dwells. And so all this stuff about eternity doesn't just appear in Revelation. Actually, this new creation reality, eternal things are a constant refrain of Scripture. And when we open up the Scriptures, we find that God is saying to us, you are eternal people. You are eternal people. I have set eternity in your hearts. And just as we're called to look at our lives right now and be really, really engaged with what God has uh, given us, with our work and our friendships, our home life, all that he's put before us, we're also called to look up 
and to look to eternity and bring the things of eternity to earth right now. Okay. So, what on earth is a new heaven and a new earth? What is scripture getting at? Um, and it's kind of a three-point um, process that it's worth teasing out. Three-point process. So actually, imagine that tomorrow afternoon, Jesus returns at the right hand of the Father. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Well, from Scripture, we see that there'll be a final judgment. Then there is a reality of hell of those who haven't chosen God. And then there's heaven. There's a new creation. So we're just going to take a moment to, to pause in each of those things. And they're not things that we necessarily frequently think about, but they're important. They're really, really important because they're part of our story and they're part of what we're called into as Christians. And we need to wrestle out um, this reality. So final judgment, final judgment. Again, Jesus, more than anyone, speaks of that, that actually there will be a judgment of the living and the dead. But the reality is that that is about our personal choice. Actually, we frequently sort of preach here and talk about the fact that we're image bearers, that we've been given dignity, that God um, wants to partner with us, does partner with us. But under free choice, under free will, under personal responsibility, that means that we're conscious beings. And so we get to choose in or out. We get to choose in or out. That is how a relationship works. And so on that final day, when the Lord returns, he will value our choices, whether we have chosen in or out. But equally, we know that God is a God of love, and he works until the absolute last moment. All you've got to do is look at Luke's gospel, and we see the thief on the cross um, being crucified alongside Jesus. And the thief turns to Jesus and says, when you come into your kingdom, remember me. And Jesus turns to this man who would have led an incredibly sort of disreputable life who was, who was dying for his crimes and says, you will be with me in paradise. Actually, this side of eternity and death, we're never too far from God. And he works again and again in the moments of our lives. So we sit and we hold that hope And then we turn to tease out the right scriptural outcome of judgment. And that is that um, we have to have some concept of hell. And we've got kind of three options when it comes to, to hell. One's um, universalism. Another is sort of eternal torment, da uh, damnation, which sounds pretty, pretty horrendous, um, possibly spiritual, possibly physical. Or... Finally, there is annihilationism. Um, universalism is the idea that all will be saved. So actually, hell doesn't really exist at all. When Jesus returns, everybody's going to be saved. I don't think that really works because it's not there in Scripture. And actually, it doesn't work at a practical or theological level. Actually, it utterly devalues free will because that makes heaven an imposition, no choice. And it doesn't work at a justice level either. 
I once um, read a theologian who's gone to glory now called Don S- uh, Tom, Don? Tom Snail. Um, and he just wrote this. Without a doctrine of hell, Mother Teresa and Hitler share the same fate. And I think we know it's a spirit within us. It's a gut reaction. That actually judgment is right and is biblical. And we need some sort of doctrine of hell. Which leaves us with, with two options. Um, we can either go down the kind of eternal damnation torment route, or we can go down the annihilationism route. First one, eternal um, damnation, physical or spiritual. And a lot of that stems from the sort of fiery imagery that we see in scripture. And to be honest, in medieval art too, um, it was a lot easier to kind of depict fire and all of that than to sort of depict light. Um, And it is there, if you look in our verses, Revelation 21, verse 8, from right at the end, some will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. The fiery lake of burning sulfur. If you look in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, um, Jesus often speaks with fiery language. It's worth noting, though, that most of the time that's super, super pictorial. Actually, he's looking at a situation or a person or a choice that is made, and he speaks of Gehenna, Gehenna. And Gehenna is the rubbish dump outside Jerusalem. It's the place where people take their rubbish, and it all gets burnt up, a bit like we do with our sort of recycling things in our bin bags. Actually, when we look at the fiery language of Scripture, two things primarily stick out. One, most of the time it's pictorial. And two, most of the time it's really, really singular. There doesn't seem to be a kind of eternal reality to it. It's almost just sort of like, right, that is thrown there into a fiery pit and it's done with. It's done with. You guys need to wrestle this out for yourself. You're thinking um, human beings, but I can't see much in Scripture that talks to an eternal hell after a new creation. Which leaves us with annihilationism which I believe is deeply, deeply scriptural. And that school of thought says that there is judgment, as we see in scripture. But it stands in the kind of revelation gospel language of a singular reality. Actually, things are done with. They are burnt up. Stands in the earlier language of Revelation, Revelation 20, 14, that depicts a kind of destruction of death and hell. It says, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. The lake of fire is the second death. Revelation 20, 14 seems to say that actually hell is annihilated. And it works out practically and theologically. Sits with God's character of love and justice. And it sits with the reality of the new creation and of heaven. Because I think it would be really, really difficult to have a perfect heaven and a perfect new creation with a bit of hell tacked on the end somewhere. Okay, so that's where we land as we tease out judgment and hell. But the important thing, guys, is not for us to sit dwelling in those realities, but just to know that they're true. And they might be, will be, a bit of a mystery this side of eternity. But to sit in the really, really important questions. And what are the important questions? The important questions are, how can I draw people to Christ so that the judgment for them is good? God's chosen, is choosing to use each and every one of us. Where am I heading as a believer? What do I think about eternity? 
Actually, what am I drawing people into? Because yes, we're drawing people into a relationship with Jesus Christ, and that is the most wonderful thing that could ever be. But we draw people into a relationship with Jesus Christ so that they might know eternal freedom. Are we captivated by eternity? And actually, what does it mean to build heaven, not hell, right now? What does it mean on our earth right now? So heaven, heaven, the good bit. Um, Close your eyes for a second. How do you picture heaven? How do you picture heaven? Is it a bit like a kind of floaty place outside of human existence, possibly with some cherubim? That may or may not look like this PowerPoint slide. Sorry, Rach. There we go. Um, Does something of that play a part in your vision of heaven? Maybe. Because that's not actually what's in Scripture. What's in scripture is a garden city that looks a lot more like this. So when we read these verses again, let's go. Revelation 21 verses 1 to 5. This is the sort of thing that we should be picturing of heaven. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I'm making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So what's going to happen? What's going to happen if Jesus returned tomorrow afternoon? Is the judgment somewhere outside of God, which we term hell, that I believe will be annihilated? And then there's us. There's all who believe. What's the Lord going to do? Well, at the moment, um, our earth is a bit deflated, isn't it? Um, we know that it's a bit sort of cracked and things, and um, it's a bit kind of covered in sin. Stuff's gone wrong. So, that's our earth right now. It's in need of restoration, isn't it? We've, kinda, we've spoken about this over this series. It's kind of gross. So, what's going to happen is that somehow... Jesus is going to return at the right hand of the Father and our deflated earth is going to meet the heavenlies and God is going to wrap our earth up and he's going to renew it so that we don't end up with this, we end up with something
There we go. That one's fine. Okay, guys, so um, we have, on our slightly technologically challenged evening, um, got a new heaven. We've got a new earth. And that's what God's going to do. He's going to restore all things. And so that as heaven meets earth, all that was broken in the fall, in that garden, represented in Genesis, it's going to be set right in this garden city that is to come. And so all the disconnection between us and God, all the disconnection between us and each other, all the disconnection between us and creation, is going to be put right. And that's the hope of the new heavens and the new earth. So what does that mean for us right now? If heaven's coming here and we're not heading off to some kind of floating existence, that has incredible meaning for our lives right now. Because firstly, it gives us clarity. It gives us clarity for our lives right now. So when we look around and things feel a little bit off kilter, and people say to us, you know, wh what's going on? Why, why is everything a bit fragmented? The big question of suffering that Kara was speaking to um, a few weeks ago. We know the answer. We know that it's all held in this framework, this great story of eternity. That actually one day God is going to renew all things and put everything right. That at the moment, in the person of Jesus, we're kind of in the engagement. Actually, the promise has been made. Heaven has met earth. In Jesus, fully God, fully human, heaven met earth. And a kingdom reality broke in to our lives and into this world. But we're not fully there yet. Actually, the marriage, these pictorial verses of Revelation of the bride, that is still to come. And we find ourselves in the in-between. And that's why things feel fragmented. And that's not to belittle suffering in any way. That's not to say that it's okay or it's from God. But there is an explanation for what is going on. And there seems to be something in Scripture that tells us that when it's all caught up in eternity... It will be all the more glorious eternity in our lives because we've walked our lives. We've walked this earth faithfully with the Lord. Um, Tim Keller puts it like this. The doctrines of the cross, resurrection, and eternity can instill us with a powerful hope. They promise that we will get the life we most long for but it will be an infinitely more glorious world than if there had never been the need for bravery or endurance or sacrifice or salvation. And that's the new creation reality. It doesn't belittle 
all that's going on right now, but it explains it. And it allows us to sit back and hope. Okay, so clarity for what's going on right now. And then clarity about our lives right now. Um, John Mark Comer in Garden City, he just says this. Our eschatology, which is a very big word, but it basically means the end things. Our eschatology shapes our ethics, i.e., how we view the end, the goal, the climax, what this whole story is leading up to, shapes our ethics, how we live today. How we view the end, the goal, the climax, what this whole story is leading up to, shapes our ethics, how we live today. Because if we think that we're going the cherubim route and we're going to the kind of floaty heaven up there or something, that makes it really hard for us to truly value our lives right now and to truly value this earth. Because actually, somewhere in the recesses of our mind, we're basically thinking, we're going to get out of here one day. We're going to get out of here one day. But if we go the garden city route, the scripture route that says that heaven is coming here and our world is going to be renewed and we're called to be partakers in that renewal right here, right now because of Jesus, that changes everything. That imbibes our lives with incredible meaning. And it tells us that we're not just image bearers right now. That we're image bearers for all of eternity. Encourages us to take ourselves seriously in the most positive, uplifting kind of a way. To take our lives and our bodies seriously. Because they have eternal value and eternal worth. That's what Paul's getting at when he writes in 2 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians 15 about us having a resurrection body. God didn't have to give us a new body. We could just be kind of a soul floating up in the heavenlies. Actually, our bodies matter. Our bodies are a good thing. But God is going to renew them. Our bodies and our lives matter so much. Our choices matter. Who we become has an eternal reality. And it's absolutely, absolutely salvation by faith alone. There is no works involved. There is nothing that can put us too far from Jesus. There's nothing he can't redeem. But we get to be part of the exciting reality that what we are building now and who we are becoming has an eternal reality. And so John Mark Comer just goes on and he says, you will take the person you become into the future and who you become is your most valuable asset. Actually, guys, something of who you are, the personality and the giftings that God has given you, he will redeem and that is going to head into eternity with you. Let's take yourself seriously because God takes you so seriously. And then we take creation, we take our earth so seriously. Actually, there's a reason it's good for us to have our water bottles and not use plastic cups. There's a reason that it's good for us to host things like an eco toolkit. There's a reason that it is good for us to care about the environment, for us to care about non-human creatures. Because they're gods. And we're called to steward and he's going to redeem everything. And in taking ourselves seriously, we take our work seriously. Actually, he's called each of us to work 
whether that's a kind of nine till five in the city, whether that's something a bit more creative, whether that's a home life, caring for our kids. But again, the stuff that we love, whether it's sort of gardening or architecture or music or DIY or cooking or design, it's going to be taken as a new creation. It's going to be work in heaven, but like redeemed work that's really, really fun. And we love and adore and use all of our talents. What you do now that fights for justice and is creative has eternal value right now and somehow will feature in a new creation. And then finally, we take justice really seriously. Because justice is all about the new creation. It's about building heaven, not hell, right now. And so we do that in the smaller things, whether it's a conversation with a friend who um, we haven't seen for a while and really needs to just have that chat. And we bring heaven into their lives by just having a coffee or a beer or whatever. And we do that in the larger ways that, you know, Angus was speaking to. Slavery is hell. It's a reality that should not exist. But it does right now in a fallen world. But the work of IGM brings heaven into that reality. And as we partner with IGM, we bring heaven into that reality. So we take justice seriously. Take our lives seriously. We take this earth seriously. Take our work seriously. Because it all has eternal reality. I loved what um, Barney took us to last week. Well, we realize that actually everything we do has eternal worth. Whether it's, you know, patching up a patient or something like that, that is participating in God's renewal of that person. Whether it's trading fairly in the city, that is participating in God's economy. Whether it's feeding a homeless person or having a conversation, giving people time, that is participating in God's relational reality. So as we dwell on the new creation, things to come. As we read scripture and read some stuff that sometimes jars us about judgment and hell and all of that, we do it with a Holy Spirit vision of everything that is to come and the eternal hope of the garden city that he's putting all things right, that one day he will wipe away every tear from our eyes and that right now, we get to be partakers of it all. So we're going to close um, with some words from Tom Wright. He says this in Surprised by Hope. You are, strange though it may seem, accomplishing something which will become part of God's new world. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation. Every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support for one's fellow human creatures. And for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures. And of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed which spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world. All of this will find its way through the resurrecting power of God into the new creation, which God one day will make.
that is the logic of the mission of God. That is the logic of the mission of God, of the church. We're right here, right now, tomorrow morning, Wednesday afternoon, Saturday night. You are participating in building the kingdom to come and a new creation. And that is the most exciting way to live. Okay, shall we stand and let some of this settle?